Welcome back, folks, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and it's going to be another episode that makes just a certain amount of people wildly uncomfortable. Yes, indeed. We talked about God last episode, and even though it felt the most I've talked about the Bible on this show, um, it definitely wasn't your traditional Christian-leaning we didn't talk exclusively about Christianity either, but it was sort of a consideration of God, the all-God, and in the West, that is generally Yahweh, and as far as listeners go, that's predominantly every listener I have is in the West, so, you know, we'll get more into Eastern philosophies as time goes on. Um, This time, we're actually going to be talking about something a little more sinister. Are you ready? Oh, that's right. Twiddle your evil mustaches and kick the thing closest to you as we commence this air guitar solo and hail the devil himself. Get your goblets of children's blood and your closest ghoulish friend with a hump and let's, I don't know, raise the dead and definitely continue with this air guitar solo. This glorious monument to Satan. We really got a lot of cool stuff going on as Satanists, and we listen to cool music. Yeah. All right. Yes, we are actually talking about the devil this episode. But yeah, jokes aside, um, aside from name drops, this isn't going to be an extremely heavy metal episode. Uh, it's going to be a lot of philosophy, very much part two to last one, um, last week there. And I think it will help set the stage a little bit to consider the split that occurred in the uh, the satanic church. You see, Anton LaVey developed it to be this sort of tongue-in-cheek joke slash actual philosophy that was that revolved around atheism, um, and you know it was full of pageantry and inside jokes and things, um, while also having you know like ethical stances. So, you know, but um. Like I said before, LeVay was a shithead also. It's not like he was a, a fantastic person. And I bring it up because at some point, even though that it was developed with these sentiments in mind, uh, people started feeling that uh, it wasn't the church wasn't taking the Satanism far enough. They liked all the pageantry. They liked all the bells and whistles. And they liked the the symbolism of it all. But they didn't like the atheism of it all. So Michael Aquino, uh, who was in many ways LaVey's right-hand man, uh, left and formed the Temple of Set, which is like the the Egyptian analog, or I'll say the uh, Satan as we know it today is like the Christian analog of Set. And... I get the whole left-handed path thing. So there's the left-handed or right-handed path. One being left being self-serving and right being um, geared towards the community. You know, that's a very boilerplate and there's a lot more to it. Um, But I think that that is the, the like psychological reductionist qualities of both paths. And neither are negative or positive, but oftentimes you'll see people like fundamentalists saying left-handed path, Satanism, right-handed path, the way of God. Uh, it doesn't quite boil down like that. Um, but 
So I get it. I get the whole left-handed path thing. But the whole temple of set is weird to me. Um, and I don't, I don't claim to fully understand it. I, I'm sure that um, there's a lot of, you know, telephone game. Like, they're not boogeymen because there's just people in a temple of set. It's just a, a, a congregation. Uh, but I, Michael Aquino, I think, is... I, I, do you call me crazy? Call me a conspiracy theorist, but that guy sketches me out. He seems very weird to me. I don't like him. I'm pretty sure he's dirty in all sorts of ways. So the temple is set. You know, whenever you're getting into the actual deification of a dark lord, that is definitely when you lose me. We can have fun inside jokes and philosophize at the same time. And also, if you want to, uh, you could satisfy your your LARPing fetish with, you know, some black robes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but the philosophy, it's not all jokes. It's just, that's just peppered in there. You know, there's, even in like LeVay's books written about Satanism, um, you know, there's stuff about him plagiarizing some people. Um, he was a, he was a huckster. Like I said, he was a, he was like a P.T. Barnum, just patching shit together and ripping people off and finding the easiest or the, the most uh, tantalizing way to spin it and so forth. But, um, you know, he makes, in terms of probing the archetypal quality of the, you know, the rebellious satanic element, um, you know, it's, it's interesting philosophy, you know, and, and there's some useful food for thought in there. So this is going to be another contextual episode. I think it's important we all get on the same page with each other here, and we don't all have to uh, agree, but we should know where each other's coming from. And I, I, I haven't heard from too many listeners. I've heard from some here and there, uh, but feel free to share your thoughts. I'll keep going regardless of whether or not I hear from you, but I'm just saying I do consider this a bit of a dialogue, even though it's somewhat delayed. Um, and I only really hear your communication through stats. It's still, it's still a dialogue because I know you're thinking about it on your end and that's what counts. And I appreciate that. And we're just here trying to sift things out and come to some common denominators, um, in symbolism and philosophy so that we can move forward. And, you know, in the future, when talking with guests, you, you already understand my mindset. And if you don't, then you can come back and Check out these episodes, and I won't have to elaborate in the moment while we're talking about other things with a guest and and so forth. So, yeah, and like I've said, if it's not clear, um, I'm not a Satanist in any degree. Um, I was raised Christian, though it was kind of half-assed. I knew the basics, and as I've said before, my biggest influences are Buddhism, Taoism, and Hermeticism. So, I'm not... But I, I, I get the rebellion quality of it all. And this is, you know, something that people write whole books about. And so if you're already pretty familiar with esotericism, you'll be familiar with some of these concepts. But for some of you noobs out there, or maybe people that have just gotten wet, you might not expect this to go in the directions that it does. And as I said in the last episode... I said that I don't think there is evil in, on a supernatural, metaphysical level. But I think it was pretty clear, although I did not explicitly state, I think it's, it was abundantly clear, 
um, if you were just paying attention, really, that I do think that there's such a thing as destructive spirituality. That's not evil. So yes, I do think that certain metaphysical principles that are present but little understood can affect people in destructive ways. And I think that's where the evil comes from. You know, a, a coalescing of something just maladaptive uh, with the human experience, you know, st- snowballs into all sorts of different things. And I think that that is the core of what we can wrap our heads around as evil. Because evil doesn't play out on a cosmic level. You know, that was Lovecraft's favorite trope. But something like good and evil, to the deepest extents of the words, are, some one might say, imaginative, imaginal. Uh, but the idea of nurturing and degradation is very real and very scientific. And I think it shows, you know, it, the, the, the logic follows that something nurturing, something positive, something that is going to help other things flourish and be allowed itself to flourish, I think that that is the essence of a natural good. But that doesn't leave room for evil, not in a naturalistic sense. I mean, degradation is just a part of life. It can't be evil. And so, you know, I've talked about this in my books before. If you want whole swaths of pages dedicated to really analyzing this stuff, I I recommend going to check that out. Both books, Dive Manual and Hunt Manual. Um, And I'll probably be reading some of Dive Manual today. You know, just some little excerpts that pertain to the conversation at hand. But suffice it to say... There is a whole lot of confusion with the influence of how the archetype of Lucifer and Satan were meant to be portrayed. If you're unfamiliar, I can go through the basics here. But, you know, Lucifer um, in Latin meant light bringer. You know, he's the son of the morning, the morning star, uh, which was associated with Venus. The pre-Christianity... Um, Lucifer was taken from the Venus archetype that existed, you know, before Christianity. And Prometheus, the Titan uh, that Zeus chained to, I I think it was the edge of Mount Olympus or something equivalent to that, um, before giving humans the the novelty of fire, you know, showing them the whole process and giving it to them the light bringer so it seems a little problematic but i mean fire is a great allegory you know because it can warm us it can be the cornerstone of technological advents as we know it in many ways or it could burn the shit out of us and destroy everything so i think that uh that's something lost in the lucifer archetype and there's also translational discrepancies like, you know, in the beginning, in the uh, the original text, 
it seems like there was much more emphasis on lesser devils and demons than there was on arch evil. But over time, translations have sort of amalgamated the two. And depending on who you ask, um, the presence of the arch evil in the Bible is not as present as the common day interpretation would lead you to believe. So in many ways, it seems like the Bible in and of itself was demonstrating an imperfect experimental God with good intentions and something like something like a descent a descent downward there was no axis of evil there was just there was the cornerstone which was Yahweh the holy trinity if you will i suppose whatever <laughs> um and everything just fell further and further from there it was a descent you know the whole center of the earth thing uh, deep buried in the psyche. Um, and so, you know, there is only one beginning. There's only one center point. And it's just a, a, a logical approach to something like this. You know, you look at forensic splatter. There is only one center point, And then it branches out from there. So, evil on the metaphysical level is a descent. It is a de-evolution, a maladaptation, fundamentally. Now, when we get into adaptation and things, you can see things like corporate narcissists, and you could see how something that we might consider evil, at least in many cases, is advantageous. And, you know, there's, a, there's exceptions to rules, but as a standard... The only way we've gotten this far is not because of people scheming the system and getting over on each other. Despite that happening all the time, it's working together. You know, not to sound hokey here, but truly, it's the, the collective effort. Lucifer and Satan don't appear to really be the same characters. Certainly not archetypally. It's, and it's definitely a controversial statement to say, but... I think that it's been telephone game to hell and back, no pun intended. Or maybe a pun intended there. And because here's the thing. I, if we are demonizing the act of rebellion itself, I think that that's a, a very slippery slope. Furthermore, this is uh, something that's not often talked about. Or not, not talked about enough, at least. This whole feminine aspect to the Abrahamic hell. You know, it's not just the devil, but just the hellish metaphysical landscape they have. And I like to point out to people, you know, the whole yin and yang, it's a much more impersonal take on these things. The yin being the female and the yang being the male um, archetypally. You know, the positive and negative forces of nature, the light and dark not being evil. Um, in fact, when we look at the light and dark, it seems that the unison of the both, you know, the sacred alchemical marriage, is what we're striving for here. Because too much of one without the other is going to be an issue. You know, too much of the dark 
without God, quote unquote, is going to make you just nothing but rebellious and self-serving and just hedonistic, etc. Too much of the light without a little bit of rebellious streak in you is just going to make you average Joe milk toast. And if, if that's how you want to live your life, that's fine. Um, at least that's not as destructive as being rebellious. But the issue is most people don't just keep to themselves with that mentality. They project it on other people because that's also a very human thing to do. And when that starts to happen, that seems just as destructive as being rebellious. You know, either we ostracize and shun or we constantly tear apart the whole system. And both are not going to work out in our favor. So this whole point is that we're looking at mythology here. And it's not to say... I say mythology in the widest scope. You know, comparative religion. The analysis of them all with the understanding that this is human psychology and sociology. But the the hypothesis that there's something deeper being interpreted here. And, you know, for all humanity's uh, uh, historical investigations and scientific understandings and uh, advents, we haven't been able to disprove that there isn't something sacredly mysterious going on here. So all of these things are sort of speaking to something. But I think if we take one exclusively and literally, then I think we lose sight of the whole great work. So, you know, stick with something that speaks to you the most. Do it, you know, in the name of self-improvement and love and altruism. You know, do something that helps you and helps others. You don't have to be juggling the one and the other all the time. And I think that's a lot of what the best spiritual path for you is all about, is finding that sweet spot so that everything can flourish. And you can defend yourself, whether that be metaphorically or literally, when the time comes but that we don't live in that defensive state, that rebellious state. You know, so find what works for you and then keep that as your pivot to consider other angles. Why not consider other angles? You know, someone, a fundamentalist might say to me that even though I seem to have good intentions, I'm so misguided that I'm going to go to hell. And I think that it's just, that's such a silly way to look at things. That doesn't translate anywhere else to the world. And, you know, that's why we see so many people willing to write people off. Everyone, I don't know if you all have noticed, but everyone is complaining about the idiots of the world. Everyone, including the idiots. So everyone thinks everyone else is an idiot. Uh, it's, uh, it's a sad state of affairs. And perhaps if we just stopped judging people and listened to what they had to say we could then make an informed conclusion afterward. You, know, you could think they're crazy. You could think that they're misguided. You know, it's your right to think that they're going to hell if you so choose. But do we really have to... Is that evil? Am I evil for even entertaining these ideas? I don't know. A fundamentalist might say so, like that I'm so misguided that I've become evil. But that's such a comic book, black and white, way to look at this it doesn't hold up in any spiritual tradition everything is a little more complicated than that 
It's just the exoteric boilerplate telephone game definitions. You know, the, these interpretations of, you know, Christianity, especially in the West, is so, is so far removed from the, the original source material that it's like inspired by. It's, it isn't the same thing anymore. So, right, the yin and yang, archetypal forces, positive and negative, not sexual identity, not gender politics. Uh, these are just the ways that ancient humans learned to personify these qualities because you could say psychologically every human being has an amalgamation of the divine positive and negative to create this uh this this polarity within us and our goal is to make sure among other things that it doesn't go too far one way or the other and that we keep it balanced and the abrahamic religions especially have done a great job at demonizing the divine feminine the divine negative this negative in a in a you know in the sense of physics can be used for plenty of good things you know, it's like, you know, some of the blueprints of magnetism and so forth. I mean, we wouldn't be, this whole thing wouldn't be put together the way it is if it wasn't for the electron with the negative charge, right? So why did Christianity create this sort of underling bride for Lucifer and named Lilith? Who's heard of Lilith? Show of hands. Stop blowing that spitball over there, you jackass. Focus. All right, sorry. Um, Lilith was uh, part of an apocryphal text. So in this medieval text, the alphabet of Ben Sirah, there is the first acknowledgement of this succubus. And it was said that before Eve, God made another woman for Adam. And this woman was made of filth and sediment, as it goes. And she embodied this entire rebellious nature that we're talking about. She thought that God and Adam were just, just, you know, keeping her in the kitchen and in the sack. You know, just like, what else are women good for? She had a very, you know, feminist mentality. And I don't mean that in... You know, I'm, I'm, I just mean that in like a definition way. Don't get all biased about it. It is good or bad. It could be both, whatever. It's just, you know, strong pro-feminism, which is fine. It's good to be self-empowered. And that's the interesting part of this story is in many ways, it does seem like God and Adam are being dicks. Um, but she also then, you know, leaves and then goes and spawns a bunch of demon children and becomes... The long story short, succubus that haunts us during sleep paralysis to this day. That's exactly how they described her. This is where the nightmare comes from. And, you know, we have the the temptress uh, Mara tempting Buddha under the Bodhi uh, during, you know, his final tests of enlightenment. Something similar to like the temptations of Christ. Uh, so the this whole divine negative turning sour is something that is around it is archetypal but god is sour too you know the divine masculine the divine positive uh, is something that can be extremely destructive 
So again, what we're looking at is the balance because both are good and bad. You know, and again, if this isn't clear, we're talking about the psychology, the sociology, the anthropology as first and foremost and the implications, you know, that stem there out. I don't think these things exist on a literal level, but I understand because the evidence does not disprove. And to me, it seems to show clearly that these represent forces of the cosmos that we don't fully understand, you know, that are embedded in the psyche. And we've talked about, uh, you know, evolution, adaptation and mysticism. So you can, you know, go peruse some backlogs if you want some more details on that. And, you know, furthermore, there's the incubus that people see too. It, but it's interesting that these things do seem to take on, sometimes they're shapeless, they're just like human asexual shadows, but oftentimes they take on masculine or feminine traits and those all like dream logic, they mean something significant. They have some significance. They're helping elaborate on the ontology of this experience that you're having, if it's something like sleep paralysis. But there was always a fascination with this dark feminine night hag, this nightmare. And, you know, we can find traces of this, you know, not just not just in the East, but, um, you know, I go through Dive Manual and talk about the uh, Sumerian King list and how it talks about demons. It's like Lilitu and Lily. You know, I, I honestly, I'm not a linguist. I, I see those words and I, I catalog it in my brain as what it looks like, but I don't even bother to figure out how to, um, to, to say that properly. I'm just not one of those guys. You know, when am I going to need that? Except for right now. Um, and I just, there's plenty of more material to go through. Stop nagging me. So positive, negative, light and dark, yang and yin, conscious, unconscious, heaven, hell. Keep that in mind uh, as we move into a small commercial break. And stay with me. We're going to dissect more of Lucifer, baby. Hail the devil. Here on Black Hoodie Alchemy. Be right back. I was a drunk man, just mumbling tones It's so forced, so of course I'm still stumbling home Probably 30 drinks in me Keg beers and whiskey plus the cocaine My eyes is like lights in the city High light, but you could die right There in the streets over that bullshit Similar to what you call B What is life? How does it grow? Where does it go? How would you know if I told you so? Autopilot, switched on with brain all silent You're back at me, bathed in ultraviolet rays your body living decays, cold world got you crumbling, you're drifting away, it isn't a king, kid in real life it never is, everybody dies, almost everybody never lives, that's why I never question why I catch the bad luck, cause all that bullshit I did I know it add up, that's why I never question why the odds against me, that's why the devil's tempt me, jealous once and I hear the tiger, head full of wickedness, 
I used to move death around in the streets with no witnesses. I was the thing that went bump in the night. The soldier psycho, big love to your soul with a knife. Unfortunate, but it seems that's who I was at that point. 40 ounce of rum, half a ball, the fat joint. My life was flashpoint through criminals' eyes. Be 65, put your hands up, reach for the sky, yo. That's why I never question why I catch the bad luck. Cause all that bullshit I did, I know it add up. That's why I never question why the odds against me. That's why the devil's heavy. I gotta, I gotta, I got a copy of your key cut Passport, SIM card, and visa Smiling in your face, contemplating what to take You couldn't trust me in my younger days I used to sport a bag, came to cuff me The jewels from a house was in a duffel bag Back then, I would never go hungry I would slice your belly just for something in my tummy Everything I had is everything I took And every single laugh was right after the joke Run up in your crib with the gap, with the mask and a hook Kill the bait with the passion of crooks 40 ounce dreams from the staircase scenes So far away yet so close to my team Karma is real, from kill with a telescope Youngins looking for an answer or an entrance But all the others know I took ink me So I took the devil's pace The 40 ounce made me, I know what the serpent tastes I used to slither haunted Drugs was my accomplice, bumping onyx like a ritual Before I took the riches from the richer folks I used to rob everyone I know That's why I never question why I catch the bad luck Gotta do a lifetime of good, it all adds up After the rain, things change, I found the God the enemy You should see me now, I turned it all around, 360 That's why I never question why I catch the bad luck Cause all that bullshit I did, I know it add up That's why I never question why the odds against me That's why the devil's heavy, jealous once again people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dogman Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dogman Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM.
Alright, and welcome back, folks. You're still listening to the same show. And I got so excited about going into that uh, metal solo there at the beginning that I forgot I wanted to give another small shout-out to the Peruvians. Yes, if you remember from prior episodes at all. Uh, I was doing pretty well. I was like top 10 for like the first five weeks in Peru in the philosophy section. So like per capita, whatever. I'm most popular in Peru, even though it's a very small percentage of overall listeners. And I appreciate that. And But then when I mentioned it, uh, it dropped off. I don't know why. I don't think it was related, but even still, um, I, I was like, okay, I guess that was a one-off, but you know, I, I went back and I looked and there was a small dip, uh, which is oddly timed, and I've remained consistent in Peru. So, thanks to you. Thanks to y'all out there. But we're talking about the devil, we're not talking about Peruvians. Peruvians are cool, even though I've never been uh, to the land. And I, I thought it'd be worth mentioning, if no one's ever read it, the Deathbird story by Harlan Ellison. And I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure you can find an audiobook. It's, I think it's only like 20 pages or something. So you could read it in one sitting real easy. But if you want some very fascinating food for thought that's not you know, pretentious, it's not overtly satanic, if, if just for like the fun of the metal of it, it's, you know, dare I say poetic and, and sci-fi horror. It's got like almost like a Dark Tower, Stephen King sort of feel. Um, but it, it plays out without explaining it at all. Um, the, the Gnostic view of good and evil and God and Lucifer, God and the devil. I mean, even if they were meant to be different characters somewhere or initially... Uh, they were certainly amalgamated, and we can't fully separate them at this point. So, you know, a little bit of recommended reading. Go check that out. But speaking speaking of some recommended reading, I thought I would go ahead and discuss some of the trees of life and death a little more. All right, I'm going to flip through the dive manual here. I'm just going to read my copy that I got in hand. Where is my bookmark? The Bible marks in Genesis that the tree of life is the source of eternal life, and it is believed by some Christians that Christ was to represent the very fruit of that tree of life, since he was the quote-unquote body of God by being his son. Uh, the Norse as well had a depiction of this very tree, Yggdrasil, that is nearly identical to the Judaic version in archetypal function, in archetypal function, excuse me. Uh, the Greek Neoplatonists were heavily involved with the dissection of the Tree of Life, calling it the Tree of Porphyry. I think that's right. You, I told you about the Buddha. Uh, the Persian mystery rites of Zoroastrianism called the Tree Hoama, <laughs> if that's how you say it. Uh, it can also, not very surprisingly, be found in varying but equal archetypal degrees in Native American mythologies. I, I, I appreciate the Hermetic tradition of it. Um, but as I will go into here some, there's a lot of overlap between, well, hold, hold on a second. Let's start here. The trees of, uh, the, the tree of life itself is something that stemmed from the, it's part of the sacred mysteries. 
and it seems to have, you know, it inklings archetypally the world over. Um, and it's the most embodied as we understand the context of the sacred mysteries of antiquity, especially because, you know, you could consider, as I do, the, the mysteries an ongoing unfoldment. It's just sort of the process of life and the cosmos. And within the sacred mysteries, we find it, like I said, in our context uh, in Egypt. And then we find the, you know, the pantheon of gods embodying uh, these these ten key points, the sephiroth, the spheres, that represent the anatomy of the all god, the god above god, the god above Yahweh and everything else, and all the lesser gods. And as I've stated, it was hypothesized that, you know, as the mystics saw it, within the human mind existed a cosmos. So wouldn't the cosmos in turn be some sort of allegorical human, you know, as above, so below. Um, and there, if you take that literally, I think you're missing almost all of the, the lesson there. I think it, it, it's to show exactly what I've been talking about this whole time, the archetypal qualities that go beyond our humanizations of these things. And so, the tree of death is something that was developed much later and it was primarily initiated it, it it was catalyzed incepted in the hebrew the mystical hebrew tradition where it was always talked about that there were shells encapsulating the sephiroth these emanations of the cosmos these divine emanations so there was noted these shells around the Sephiroth, and it was meant to represent the the disassociation, the the descent, the maladaptation of falling away from these cosmic emanations, which as above, so below, as within, so without, meaning outside of, um, and these things. They're so pervasive to the cosmos, you know, positive and negative. And, you know, as this as this uh, this series of podcasts unfold, we'll go more and more into, you know, what types of forces. But so it's a descent, a maladaptation. So the Sephiroth are so pervasive in the cosmos that they affect our psyche just as much. You know, it's just a simple cause and effect. And so where we find direct access to these things on the only like quote unquote the closest thing we can get to a tangibility is in our imagination the imaginal realm which is not just a fantasy land it's a land full of sensory stimulus and you know a tap into the unconscious reservoir and the collective consciousness it's the realm of symbols and dream logic and allegory it's where we use those things to wrap our heads around things that we have no explanation for, but we have observations of. So the tree of death was meant to represent the descent, as I said. And over time, by radical punk occultists, <laughs> um, it was developed to be uh, ten anti-spheres. 
because in the original text it was said that these were these shells embodied the exact opposite of what the Sephiroth stood for. And we can actually find, because these are archetypal qualities, we can find Dante's model of heaven and hell with the world sandwiched in between. We can find these models seamlessly with the, uh, the trees of life and death, these 20 overall components of adaptation with the cosmos. You know, if you want to get Eastern, the, the, the flow of the Tao you know, working with the Tao or the 10 opposite, working the best way you can against the Tao. But it's not evil. It's only when you've worked as much as you can against the Tao that your brain snaps and you just do whatever it is that makes people psychotically vain or self-destructive or sadistic. You know, it's a... That's not something that we haven't discussed in other episodes either. So, as I'm flipping through my book here, yeah, there are there are a few things worth reading. I told you about Lilith and spawning the uh, the demons, and then uh, they kind of did away with her because she ran away, and then they made Eve. Lilith, yeah. She just she's, she's a wild spirit. And it's also worth noting that in paganism, especially today's modern neo-paganism, uh, Lilith is considered a goddess. And this isn't ill-founded. This actually isn't, even if it could be used as some New Age bullshit, it really isn't. There's archetypal basis for this. Uh, in the Vedic and Tantric symbolisms of the East, this archetype is Kali. She's the goddess of creation and destruction, representing the cycle of birth and death, the diurnal mind state, meaning day and night, uh, and the states of comfort and torment that can come from the biological mother. Uh, to enemies of Kali's wor worshippers, she was as wrathful and demonic as a mother grizzly bear protecting her cub. And if Kali was crossed by her worshippers, she would bring wrath like the mother spanking her child. Kali, like Isis, the uh, the same archetypal goddess of the mysteries in Egypt, uh, and Lilith, were represented by total blackness and the moon. In Babylon, the great mother Ishtar, or was Ishtar, and in Mesopotamia, she saw fruition as Inanna, coupled with the Babylonian inspirations of Ishtar. She then became Hellenized, like the Greek word, uh, into Astarte, or Ashtoreth. Uh, from here, her archetype. From here, her archetype developed within the mystery initiations with the involvement of the Egyptian goddess Isis, and to the nearby Greeks, she was Ananki. Uh, but the Romans and Greeks often called her Isis as well. Well, I am aware that I'm being reductionist here uh, in this brief historical analysis. It seems from here that the Hebrew took what they had heard about the mother of the mysteries and turned her into the full-fledged demoness they saw her to be. Thus, eventually, the queen of the Clyphoth was shaped into what she is today. And so it's interesting. Like, if you come across any literature about the Clyphoth, the tree of death. I don't think I made that clear. The Clyphoth is the tree of death. Sorry if people were Googling and scratching their heads. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but uh, Lucifer is not considered to preside. Satan is not considered to preside over the tree of death. It's actually Lilith. And that might just be a throwaway 
mythological whatever it doesn't seem to be not when you see it you know throughout religions you see this protection aspect of the mother and sort of when you know like mommy issues gone extreme if there's neglect or abuse from the mother even you know considering this in the archetypal sense um there's going to be uh maladaptations and I would go ahead and read to you the 20 Sephiroth and Clyphoth on these trees of life and death, but I don't want to lose all my listeners I got right now. That would be boring as shit, trust me. Uh, some people find it plenty boring reading or listening, but I find that it's it just it eases the mind and it it's more entertaining to read about. So you can go check out my books or just do a Google search, whatever. You go to my website and find actually posted an excerpt on you know Jungian archetypes and the trees of life and death that you can find on my website and it's yeah it's from dive manual uh, and you can find the list there but uh, you can find the this archetypal map all you know the world history over in varying degrees and in many cases so starkly similar that it's it's a real head scratcher and this is why they call them the sacred mysteries So I'm just looking at the mythology of these characters. I don't think God is evil. You know, just because God is imperfect. It's the same way I like the uh, the later takes on Superman. Where he's a flawed, all-powerful being, almost. And is superhuman alien that doesn't understand humans at all and is is ostracized and distant and you know does good but because that's he knows that that's what he should do but he doesn't always understand the human in, in fact in many cases especially depending on the the writers um you go check out my uh my conversation with eric millar og comics and uh philosophy and mysticism number one but you know, in many ways, that humanizes the character, makes it more relatable. You know, did you guys see that uh, the Superman movie, the What If, um, Brightburn? That was a crazy movie, like uh, the horror movie about what if Superman grew up evil and like Lovecraftian, and just started losing his mind and going on a killing rampage. Like realistically, if anything like that happened in real life, that's what would happen. The superhuman alien would be so far removed from human intimacy and emotions and just the context that it probably would just follow the path of least resistance and dominate everything. So the fact that Yahweh is not like that, some people, you know, like I said, the heavy Gnostics, the real heavy Gnostics would say is, I don't think so. I think there's at least a progression of character mythologically. And we find that rebellion in many cases is necessary. You know, you look at the American, what the principles of America were founded on. That's a curious thing. You get ultra conservative people that will faint at the notion of giving Lucifer some credit. But aren't you so up in arms about liberal government agenda? 
know, people just they, they don't follow the their their beliefs to their logical ends. And that's all I'm trying to do here. So I got one more excerpt that I will read from Dive Manual. I'm flipping through the pages right now. Maybe you can hear that. Here we are. And we're going to talk about Gautier's rendition of Faust. In the beginning of Gautier's Faust, the doctor is given a magical potion to camouflage him with seductive, youthful looks, enabling him and the lovely young woman Gretchen to fall in love with him. She is a pious, pure Christian girl, and Faust is quite rude to her at first, but she becomes captivated by him. Mephistopheles manages to arrange a meeting for Faust and the woman, and their subsequent relationship results in the death of her mother and brother at the hand of Faust himself. Now remember, Mephistopheles is a demon that Faust summoned for limitless power. <clears throat> he felt that he had been robbed of his youth by his scientific pursuits, and so he wanted the power of youth back in a magical, mystical sense. But at the beginning of the play, Mephistopheles is an angel in the court of heaven. It's, it's a respectful rebellion it's mimicking lucifer's rebellion but in a respectful way that god actually appreciates and and thus allows mephistopheles to go and engage in this job type bargain that turns out to be the polar opposite of what job experiences now um a death of her mother and brother at the hand of faust gretchen even becomes pregnant with faust's child during it all uh, she soon finds herself struggling, her guilt of the pregnancy being personified as an evil spirit as she prays to the Virgin Mary in the church at one point. Here in the story, Faust recognizes his time to exit and leaves Gretchen to visit the Sabbath of the witch, Walpurgis night. Walpurgis? I don't know. Faust is enamored by a woman he meets there, the woman being none other than Lilith. In the scene, Mephistopheles introduces Lilith to Faust, telling him, Beware the lure within her lovely tresses, the splendid soul adornment of her hair. When she succeeds therewith a youth to ensnare, not soon again she frees him from her jesses. And when Faust and Lilith begin dancing, he says to her, A lovely dream once came to me. I then beheld an apple tree. And there two fairest apples shone. They lured me so. I climbed their own. Thereon. <laughs> Um, to which Lilith replied, Since first in paradise they grew, and I am moved with joy to know that such within my garden grow. After their interaction, he witnesses Lilith's face form into Medusa, the feminine shadow, uh, the personification of his guilt for Gretchen. Gautier's brief depiction of Lilith is easily the best summary of her overall archetypal context and significance. Here she represents a lure to Faust, uh, and opportunity for the depths of hedonism but at the last moment she presents the opportunity for redemption by her very nature reminding faust of his responsibility to gretchen and the opportunity to forgo mephistopheles's current influences giving him opportunity for both decisions as i have explained the aspects of the dark anima are entirely the anima being the divine feminine essentially I mean, we can get into that another time anima and animus mas uh, feminine masculine um art so the dark anima are entirely necessary because they ultimately allude to the deeper mechanisms of the alchemical transmutation 
without an encompassing understanding of their transmutational representation, the focus of these feminine archetypes can be easily lost and begin to embody demonic qualities. And of course, the same can be said of the masculine. Think of psychopathic Superman. So, open-ended. I leave you with that, essentially, listeners. So you can see that there's destruction and there is human evil. And humans use and abuse power in a variety of different evil, nefarious ways. But if we look at the actual context of archetypes, human psychology, sociology, and anthropology, and we look at the, uh, the, the sacred mysteries and what we understand of them, we see that the dark is the transmutation process. We have to familiarize ourselves with the impurities because, again, it, the feminine is not exclusively impure no more than the masculine but what we're looking at is a unison the sacred alchemical marriage and the specific qualities of the polarities within this marriage and you don't need to be man and woman you don't have to take this to a nuclear family argument you know these are qualities that everyone embodies to one degree or another in varying ratios so I I think that's about it for now. And I hope you were left with some um, some interesting material to mull over. You know, we're definitely not going to get all the answers. And we're definitely going to continue to talk about these concepts and expound on the whole situation. But bit by bit, you know, layers of the onion, people. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out Fringe.fm. You know, like my homie Joe of Lighting the Void etc. Don't forget to check out my website. You can get my books, Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism, and Hunt Manual, 21st Century Demonology and Fortiana. And you can go check out some of my guest spots. I've got plenty of shit out there if you want it. Don't forget to hail Satan and spray paint pentagrams on the walls of abandoned buildings and air guitar solos and the blood of children and all that that's right folks all right i'll see you next week you take it easy out there peace Fuck if I offended you, beheaded MCs Hazmat suit with pen and pad just spreading disease Ancient spacemen spraying your fields with pesticides Coated crop circles, predict the ending of times A labyrinth, stone labyrinth, stay hiding the truth But also minotaurs stomping your face with iron boot Trying to move through the jungle like ninjas in the breeze This life a giant lesson with infinite degrees From the bamboo shoots, I move with new recruits Fatigues and boots, clenched fist, beat your toothpiece, dude Cyanide turn blood to peace, suit pistol pop, paranoia, we plug your peeps too hardcore. Lots more than you're bargaining for. My artist war, autograph your heart with a sword. Dynamite, robbing like my life hangs by your thread with my cords. Loop around your neck, a strangle you dead. Mental labyrinth, jewelry smile when the gavel hit. Thirty years, humans turn stone in the gravel pit. Found a true scroll, but it's hard to unravel it. Had a choice to be a murderer or a maverick. Ha. Sitting on the dark side of the rainbow Empty water buckets yelling fuck it to the angel Four corners of death, extra breath, take an angle Electric chair, 3K style, with the strangle Yeah, that metaphor might have been too dense But everybody understand a pocket with two cents Brain crash, only know a couple with few 
dense, trapped in the forest and the face on the crew tense. They got our minds in the box, with the keys to the locks, crooked police cars breeze through the blocks. I'm running through the alley with the trees and the socks, let them face down, never heard freeze when they shot. Breathe the Babylon air, come and travel on air, looking down on the earth from a magical sphere. I am the seven, your fella still trapped in the six, ain't no fun laying on clouds, so I'm back in the mix. 24 carat money. In the mind, 24-7, 40 ounces, 28 grams of heaven. Weight on the shoulder, boulder heavy, create error fields. Point nine infinity, this is my forever shield. Counting Dracula, is counting your votes. 1984, Sonic Murder, she wrote. 2012 Aquarius, 13 floors in your ghost. Give me a 3.5, don't short me with the pie. Irrational ratios of the rich versus poor. 16 bars killed the verse. You got eight like through the waves in war. 11-11 upon the digital clock. The hand strikes 12. The slippers were lost. 93 to 98, I stole my favorite tapes. Recorded college radio from several waves. 30 minutes, 4.30 every day. Channel 29 was bumping the top five. And none of it was job. The culture was alive until the millions arrived. The mainstream switched the dream into stride. Mike check one, two. That's how I'm getting revived. The numbers we will